episode six of the Canucks Speakeasy podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Welcome home, Pete. Yeah, thanks. Back in Rain City, man. It's nice to be home, and uh, it's uh, nice to not have to deal with phone connections to call in and do this. Nice. I'm sure it was pretty hot over in Lebanon. Oh, man, it was it was cooking. It was, it was a hot, hot trip. But uh, it's good to be back here. It's good to see the fall leaves. It's good to see hockey coming back around. I'm pretty excited to be back. Pumpkin spice beer at every corner of every liquor store? Not not quite. Good Lord. It's ridiculous when you go in there now. Uh, but speaking of beer, what uh, what do we got today? Uh, today I found this El Matador Purple Corn Cerveza from Parallel 49. Never uh, tried it before. So yeah, well, I don't even know what that means. Well, let's, uh, let's crack let's, these open. Let's, yeah, let's give it a go. Alright, cheers. Cheers. So we're going to be talking more about training camp this week, obviously, and uh, just any other things that kind of come up around the horn, so let's get it going. Sounds good. So, yeah, let's continue to talk about training camp, since really that's the only thing to talk about at the moment. Uh, Clearly you were overseas, Pete, so I'm not sure if you got to actually watch or stream any of the games, but have there been any line combinations that have stuck out to you any players that you know you can see making a bid for the team any players that have disappointed you uh, I think it's I mean line combinations preseason I don't really care too much about that too much I think the most intriguing thing right now is what's going on with the forward core as of today there are still uh, I guess 18 forwards in camp and I think realistically there's at the most, 14 spots, not counting Antoine Roussel there. So I think it's quite interesting to see who's left in camp and how this battle is going to all shape out. Uh, I think McEwen is probably going down to start the year. Uh, Gravich, or however you pronounce his name, I think it's Gravich, uh, he's going down. Um, and Schaller is more than likely going down. And then it's uh, Goldobin, Godet, Mott, a couple other guys in the mix. How do you see it all shaping out here? Um, I had Godet going starting the year in Utica, and I still think there's a good chance he can. I don't see any of the other guys that you just listed taking a spot on the team, like Gravich. He's played okay, or Gravich, like you said. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it. Um, McEwen's been a bit of a disappointment overall, I think. I think we were kind of expecting to see a little bit more banging and crashing and, you know, driving to the net. Haven't seen that from him. Uh, in the few games that I've watched. Uh, I think Goldobin's... It's it's interesting with Goldobin. I'm not sure what the plan is with Goldobin. Right now, I think Miller and Horvat have shown some really good chemistry, and it seems on some of the lines, and again, you can't really count anything as far as you know the line combinations, but Pearson's been playing on the third line quite a bit. So I don't know if... You know, if Goldobin... I mean, I guess here's my question to you. If Goldobin isn't in the top six, do you think there's a spot for him on this team? And I know you're 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 tooting the horn, top nine, top nine, top nine. Yeah, right now, I don't think Goldobin makes the team. I don't think he's done enough. Um, I, I don't think if it's top six, top 12, whatever. I, I don't see Goldo, Goldobin right now being in the starting 12 forwards uh, opening night. And that, for me right now, is begging the question is, what do you do with... Goldobin is do you put him on waivers do you try and trade him do you keep him on the roster for a bit I I really am not sure he hasn't impressed me from what I've seen in camp I just feel like he's not putting in the effort and he's not getting the praise 
of coach like guys like Tyler Mott and Adam Gaudet are. So I think Goldovin, he's he's the polarizing figure, and I think everyone wanted him to come into camp and be really strong, and it just doesn't really seem to be happening. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thought is whether or not he'll get claimed on waivers. I'm not sure he would. I mean, right now it's the time of the year where a lot of teams are trying to sneak guys down. And I don't know if Goldovin's really got, you know, because any team that claims him, well, they're going to have to keep him on their main roster, right? They can't send him down. So I honestly think the Canucks could sneak him down via waivers. And I don't, and if, if you lose him, you lose him. Like, obviously it sucks, but the player hasn't, and I know the analytics, you know, kind of back him up that, you know, he's been good and there's been a lot of talk, you know, he, he is actually a plus player for, for them. But I just, I don't see it. I don't see the effort every shift. I don't see him making a difference out there as far as contributing to the offense. And that's what he's on the ice for, mainly is his offense. And then clearly, you know, he's got some struggles on the defensive end as well. I I, I don't think he's got much value around the league. I don't even think you could get a late-round draft pick for him at this time. I, I think it, it, it's, this is the time of year where you could sneak a guy in, and the Canucks already put a few guys down. I don't think anyone's made a waiver claim around the league right now. I could be wrong on that, but it is the time to do it. I do think, though, as you go later into camp, you run more of that risk when teams are looking, seeing what they got, and a guy like Goldoman comes on the wire. I still not convinced he wouldn't go and uh i think that would be kind of again a polarizing thing in the canucks universe is losing goldobin for nothing even though we basically got him for nothing and yannick hansen's not in the league anymore but i i just don't know what you do with i just don't see him in the opening night lineup right now no and i honestly think that a guy like nils hoglander will definitely be pushing for a spot on this roster next year and i don't see goldobin anywhere on this team next year so I, what do you do with him? Do you try to send him down to the minors, hopefully build up some of his value down there? Because he has been proven to be, you know, almost at a point per game clip in the AHL, but for whatever reason, he just can't seem to put it together in the NHL. I think Goldobin's a guy that the Canucks know he doesn't have a lot of value, so they're trying to figure out what to do with him. I mean, his value doesn't increase by, you know, him being the 13th forward on the team and sitting in the press box. Yeah, he'd be better off served playing down in Utica and actually getting ice time. I think the other thing that's really kind of hurting him at the moment is how well Sven Berchi has played. I've, from what I've seen of Berchi, I've liked the way he's played, and he seems to have gotten a bit of that rust off. And if, if Berchi is firing in there, then he's he's a very valuable piece in that top nine. I think uh, Josh Lavo's played well as well. I think Tanner Pearson has played well. And I think, you know, now we're getting down to bottom line on the forwards and I, I don't really see that as a good resting place for Goldobin. I think we have a potential this year with our fourth line to actually have a fairly decent shutdown line I think it'll be more veteran heavy presence. I think you can have Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter even as a fourth line if you wanted or Tyler Mott down there and that's a much more functionable fourth line than putting a guy like Goldobin on there and I, I right now and that guys above him like I all those guys I mentioned Levo Pearson, Berchi. I got all those guys above him right now. And the other guy is kind of polarizing in there is Jake Vertanen, but I know the Canucks aren't going to wave him or send him down. And he's actually, he's he's had some good moments. It's nice to kind of see him get the monkey off his back. And Vertanen and Berchi, they're both ahead of, of him as well right now. And so is Tyler Mott. And so, yeah, where is Goldobin? That puts him for me right now about as the 14th forward. And I'm not convinced the Canucks are going to go in with 
two extra forwards. Yeah, I mean, I would say the two most disappointing forwards so far in camp, in my opinion, have been Vertanen and Goldobin. I know Vertanen had those two goals in that split squad game against Calgary. But I just think overall his lackadaisical, cool, you know, persona on the ice, he often kind of skates by guys and kind of, you know, doesn't use his physical attributes as far as his speed and his, you know, his physical prowess on the ice to actually make a difference out there. And he just seems like a guy who kind of coasts by. And yeah. We've seen this with those type of players in the past. Like Todd Bertuzzi is a perfect example of a guy on Long Island who for years was kind of perceived the same way as Jake Vertanen. You know, didn't want to get into the dirty areas, didn't want to get physical with the other team, was kind of lackadaisical, didn't take his conditioning serious. I think Vertanen to me is another guy, and you heard rumors that Benning said to the media that he's been talking to teams about trades, and we'll see where that goes. I think Vertanen's name is out there. Whether or not the Canucks would make a move is a whole other story. I think uh, I think Way Sutter has also played a name that I've been kind of advocating for moving on from. Um, he's had a great camp, and again, this puts more of a squeeze on some of these guys that are coming in and are not quite up to the level that some of these vets are coming into camp at. It looks to me like Sutter and Berchi and Mott, in terms of more vets, they want to be here and they want to be on the team and they put in the work. And Brandon Sutter is saying all the right things right now as well. And then Goldobin and Vertanen, two of the younger guys, come in and they could find themselves get pushed out of jobs here, two former first-round picks. And I, again, I think Vertanen will stick with the team. It wouldn't completely shock me if he's traded. I'd like to see the Canucks give Vertanen another year here and see what he does, but Goldobin really doesn't have much rope to hang himself with here. He's uh, He's got to do something to impress the squad. Otherwise, they're going to shop him or send him down. I just I don't see a scenario right now where Goldobin is on not just the opening night lineup, but the opening night roster. I don't see him making the 23-man roster because I do think the Canucks are going to go in with eight defensemen. I'm not completely sold on that. I think Fantenberg's going to be a seven, but, you know, is Biega going to be the eighth as well? Or uh, he's another guy who's going to have to clear waivers. So I, I'm not totally sold that they would have two extra forward spots. I think it's more likely there'll be two extra defensemen. But, geez, yeah, Goldobin right now is, I don't think he's my 14th forward even. I, I just don't see him starting. And it, it's frustrating because I've, I've long wanted to see this guy do it. He's got a lot of the tools, but... He's. I'm, I'm just looking at a depth chart here right now, and uh, just quickly, I think right now he's my 15th, and that's not going to do it. If you're the 15th, you're not with the big club. You're either in Utica or you're traded. Yeah, I mean, for Goldobin to start, you know, his career to start progressing and to build some of that value, value back up in him as a player, he's got to play. So him sitting in the press box doesn't help his value, doesn't help him progress as a player. So to me, if he's not making a clear, distinctive you know, claim to one of the top three lines, top two lines preferably, he's not going to be on this team. He's going to be in Utica, I think so. I think the Canucks have tried to trade him already. I think they tried to trade him in the offseason. And again, total speculation. I have no clue. But I believe they were trying to trade him, and there's just no value for him. So... If, there, if, if no other teams want to take a flyer on this guy, because almost every team in the league's got a player kind of like Goldobin in their system. High offensive capabilities, has the ability to 
score goals, you know, put the puck in the net, set up his teammates. But for whatever reason, they just can't do it consistently in the NHL. Reed Boucher, I mean, obviously Boucher's not quite as, you know, a high draft pick as Goldobin was, but Boucher's another guy who has great AHL numbers, but but for whatever reason, he just can't seem to get it done in the NHL. Oh, and great OHL numbers, too. He was a stud back in the O. But to, you know, kind of take a positive spin on all this, it's nice that we can actually talk about this for once, as opposed to putting guys on the team who don't necessarily deserve to be there on opening night. This competition at camp this year is really good, and seeing Mott and Gaudette come in and really push that envelope a bit further, it's great to see. And having Sutter come in and Berchi come in, and guys that, as you know, as a Canucks fan, they're two guys I'd almost kind of written off a little bit. I, I, you, you kind of forget what you have. Berchi's been injured so much. Sutter's never quite gotten over that hump with the team. Those guys come into camp. Ferlin and Miller come in. You've got Levo and, uh, and Pearson, Pearson on the team, who you didn't have at camp last year. All of a sudden, you're much deeper up front, and we're not forcing a guy like Goldobin into a seven minutes a game on a fourth-line role. We're putting in a guy who's more fitted to play in there. Maybe it's Tyler Mott on that line, or maybe it's Louis Erickson. It's, uh, it's, there's more competition, and this is a very good thing for the organization. And we're seeing it as well on the blue line but the way the Comets blue line is shaping up this year is looking decent. I've talked about how the Canucks are 14 defensemen deep this year, which is fantastic. This Again, this is something that hasn't happened, and this is what you need is a successful organization, and every Canucks fan knows we've been depleted by injuries the last couple of years. So Goldobin doing this, it's, it's not only a testament against Goldobin. He could be working his butt off for all we know. I mean, I, it doesn't seem like it, but he could be trying really hard, but the guys around him are just trying harder and doing more and put in more effort and for Tannen and Goldobin if they stick with the team they can look at this and be like shit this is what I got to do to stick with the big club because look at what Brandon Sutter the effort that he's put in this offseason come in and Bo Horvat with his skating again is looking looking even faster and he looks good these guys are coming in and working hard up front and it's pushing these guys and it's going to push this next generation, too. It's going to push the guys like Cole Lind and the Niels Hoglanders and these other guys who are coming up to to be better. I Yeah, I agree with most of the stuff you've said. I mean, I, I'll, I, take, I take contention with one thing, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, I do think sometimes you get to this point where, for whatever reason, Goldobin... And Green just don't seem to mix. You know what I mean? There just seems to be a bit of a rift there. And Green's trying what he can to motivate him by benching him, you know, for a game. And it just doesn't seem to have worked with Goldobin, unfortunately. I do think, going back to the Sutter comment, and even Louis Erickson, who I think has looked decent in training camp. He honestly has. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I, I think in it to the late Jason Botchford, RIP, rest in peace, Jason, um, where he made a similar comment that I'm about to make in regards to Ben Hutton last year and how the previous year Ben Hutton was so bad on so many levels. And then when Ben Hutton last year started playing well and started looking okay, Canucks fans were like, you know, jumping up and down about how good Ben Hutton looked. And I think that's the same with Sutter and Erickson at the moment. Mm-hmm. Sutter's looked good. I'm not saying he hasn't, but has he looked great or is he just looking like... 
a legitimate third line player, and I don't think I don't I don't know if Sutter's looked amazing just yet. Um, and I think it's the Stockholm syndrome we have that we're so used to Sutter and Erickson looking so bad the last few years that any glimpse of like solid play by them, we're like, oh my god, he looks incredible, he looks amazing, you know. And I'm not saying that you're overhyping them and saying they look amazing, but I just, yeah, I just want to, I want to personally temper my expectations because I think, yeah, I, I just don't think they've looked amazing. I think they've looked how they should always look. Yeah, they've looked much more serviceable than they have in previous years, and that's what I mean about how they're playing and how they're driving this competition with the team. I'm not saying they're going to be game breakers, but they're coming into camp and playing at an NHL level, which is fantastic to see for a couple guys that were somewhat written off. I got to admit, I was writing off Sutter. So for me to be sitting here, you know, a couple weeks before training camp saying anything nice about him is surprising to myself as well. I I didn't see that happening. And Berchi, I thought there was a chance that he could rebound uh, and he looks good out there too. So it's it's good to see them pushing, and it's good to see that we have this depth, but it is concerning when a couple of first-rounders aren't quite following up and living up to the hype and being where they should be in the development tree right now, At least, especially in Vertanen's case. This is a big year for Vertanen, and I said this last year too, and he got off to a good start, and I was like, yes, this is it. He's uh, coming through, cooled off. So for him to come in kind of, you know, look a little marshmallowy there or whatever... Not not excited about that. I really hope both those guys, I'm sure every Canucks fan does, really hope both those guys come in and do well. But at the end of the day, the coaches are going to say, hey, look, look at Erickson and Sutter and Mott and these guys who've had good camps and have been here before, and, and they're going to get the, the jobs out of it. I believe there are four preseason games left, and I think Goldobin should be in every game. Is there three? Yeah, three. Okay, I... Uh, However many games are left in the preseason, if I'm green, I'm playing Goldobin in every game. You're giving him the longest rope you can to kind of prove that he is an everyday NHLer and he belongs on this roster. Godet, I, I'm a little... I would love Godet to be on this team. I just don't know if it makes sense. Godet, from an asset management perspective, to me makes a little bit more sense. Send him down to Utica... I assume there's going to be some kind of injury at some point. He can play top-line minutes down there, develop maybe a bit of chemistry with a guy like Cole Lind, um, Reed Boucher. Not that Boucher will probably ever be on our NHL roster. I just, yeah, to me, I think from an asset management perspective, it makes more sense for Godet to be in the AHL. But if he's played so well to stick up with the club, there is room for him up with the club. Yeah, but I, I don't think he's played great like he's he's had a couple of defensive lapses like mm. the game last night uh it was anderson dolan you know was his man and he just let him kind of walk by him and he scored i think it was the fourth or fifth goal in the game last night and again i know like zane mcintyre and uh bachman were in net and you know it wasn't the greatest roster out there but it was a little concerning you know what i mean he needs to tighten that stuff up because Right now, the way he's going to be successful in this league to start off is going to be his defensive game more so, and his offensive numbers will eventually come. He reminds me a little bit of a Bo Horvat, right? I don't think he plays at the same kind of level as Bo Horvat, and he doesn't have that same kind of like, you know, chase down the puck as Bo Horvat. But, you know, Gaudet has some of the tools that Horvat does. I think he's got a better shot than Horvat overall, especially from uh, the left side on the power play. Um, his celebrations are great. But uh, yeah, I think Horvat, or sorry, I think Gaudet 
is a guy that still needs a little bit more development. He is, you know, he's a fifth round draft pick and already to me, he's a success. You know, we got what, I think it was 35, 40 games out of him last year, which is great. He's a Hobie Baker winner. But because he's an older guy, and that's the one thing that I'm always a little hesitant about with some of these college free agents, especially when they do the full, you know, three, four years in college, is by the time they come out, and I think of Brogan Rafferty, who's been, who was great. I know the Canucks sent him down, but he was great all through training camp. But the player you see, Rafferty, I believe, is already 24 years old. He's pretty much who he is as, an, as a player. I think he can be an NHL player. I definitely think Gaudet is and can be an NHL player. But I don't see a big jump in their progression as players from where they are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the Hobie Baker thing is an interesting one. I'm just looking at a list of previous Hobie Baker winners. And really prior to 2014, a lot of guys just never really made it. There's not a lot of guys who really ended up having fantastic NHL careers. An exception is 2001 with former Canuck Ryan Miller. Uh, Chris Drury back uh, a ways as well, and Paul Correa back a ways. Brandon Morrison? Uh, was he? Oh, yeah, Brandon Morrison, 97, yeah, with uh, with Michigan. Yep. Um, but over the last few years, since 2014, it's been an interesting list of guys that have won the Hobie Baker. So Adam Gaudet's in with Johnny Goodrow, Jack Eichel, Jimmy Vesey, Will Butcher, and Kale McCarr. And it's it's interesting, those kind of players, just seeing what they're doing. Vesey and Butcher, obviously, are you know, a little bit lower down, but where's Godet going to fit in all this compared to all these guys? And, and again, yeah, being the NCAA thing, that's, uh, that's, it's, it's always interesting as well when you get these older players coming in, into camp who've been playing. For me, the NCAA thing is always, it's a shorter schedule and uh, it's not as many games as AHL and, or NHL. And I think a lot of times players get tired uh, if they play the full season. I've seen that with a lot of these guys, you know, it's, it's twice as many games a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I still think I, I know what you mean with got out with the defensive lapses. I've seen a few of those as well. Um, I'm not saying he won't get sent down, but I just I do think that there is room for him. If he gets sent down, are you you saying then just go with 13 forwards? Have Tyler Mott maybe as your 13th? McEwen, Gravich, Schaller, Goldobin, Godet all go down. I think so. I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I know you and I both thought early on that the Canucks are going to have the extra defenseman. Um, but I, I don't think Fantenberg's been all that great. I, I was expecting a little bit more out of him. So I wouldn't be surprised if they just keep Biega as a seventh defenseman and they actually keep the two extra forwards to start the season at least and see how things kind of progress. I think the one thing that is in Godet's favor is I believe Green might send the message like he did last year with Mott, just showing, you know, some of these young bubble guys, hey, look, if you compete your ass off during training camp, this is important. You will make this squad. I'm looking at you, Jake Vertanen. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Nikolai Goldobin. And so I think that there is a chance that Gaudet will make this roster out of training camp as a point, as proving a point to guys like Goldobin and Vertanen that you guys need to be better and you need to take your careers as NHL players a lot more serious than you are. Yeah, I, I, I think he's already alluding to things like that in the press with, with mentioning Mott and Gaudet. And mm-hmm. it just seems that he does like the effort that Gaudet has put in. And again, he hasn't been perfect out there. But, you know, Gaudet got 56 games in last year with the big squad. 
And what is best for his development right now? Is it best to third line it in Vancouver? Or is it best to go down and get more minutes in Utica? And there's there's definitely advantages both ways. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I'd like to see Goddard stick with the team. I think he's good enough to stick with the team and play up here to start the season. I know that he's waiver-exempt, but I don't think it's a huge deal right now. I think the guy that you're looking at, Goldobin, Goldobin and then Fentenberg and uh, Biega on the blue line are the ones that are, I think, uh, you know, they're the ones who are more you got to worry about what you do with them. I do think, just going back to the Biega-Fentenberg thing, the Canucks signed Fentenberg. I believe he's four years younger than Biega. You don't think they'd be more inclined to keep him up at the big club and try and slip Biega down? Biega's 31. Yeah, I mean, I think Biega's got a lot more, like, leeway with the coaching staff and, you know, more uh, more of a rapport with the guys in the dressing room. Um, you know, he's that reliable kind of seventh defenseman who every time he gets in the line lineup, he kind of overachieves. And, you know, a lot of the fans are like, oh... Biega's looking good. I'm drunk on Biega because he's looking good. I know yeah. You've, you've, yeah. You've, you've been guilty of that. I've, I've, I've come, been guilty of I've that. I've come around on Biega a bit this year. I, I, Biega for me was always a bit of a plug, but this past year I, was, I, I liked Biega. I liked the way he played. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, so I, I think because of that, I think Biega probably has a slight edge over Fantenberg. The other thing, too, is they've got other guys in Utica who, to me, could easily, you know, if they're called up, could overtake a guy like Fantenberg or a guy like Biega that are younger, mm-hmm. you know, Brogan Rafferty, Tevez, I think looked okay. Breezebois, I believe is still up with the team, but I think he is going to end up going down. Him and Chatfield are still up, but yeah. it's, it's all, it's a foregone conclusion that they're going down. I think just with the way the games are, they want to not have all their defensemen in every night and stagger it out a bit. So it won't be long before those two guys go down, but you have Rafferty, Tevez, and eventually we will see Yolevi at some point this year. Uh, I, I'm sure we will. I just don't think it'll be before Christmas. And especially with the way Rafferty's kind of shot up the depth chart here, you got to think that he's the first call-up should there be an injury. But mm-hmm. again, if you're already carrying two extra blue liners, um, you know it could be a little while before we see him get any action with the team. What do you think of the Ulevi thing? I know it was reported. We didn't see him in any preseason game. Mm-hmm. They did that bag skate, I believe it was the first or second day of official training camp. He came up a little bit limp. He was favoring his knee. The next day... He was taking part in some of the drills, and he looked okay. He looked fine. I know there was a couple uh, gifts out there that people have recorded of him doing one-on-one battles with uh, some of, some other players. But now Benning came out and said that, or, or I think it was Green actually that came out and said that he won't play a game till October. So I don't know if there's been you know uh, any, a new issues development with his with his knee. Obviously, he did seem to be favoring it that first day when Green bag skated them. Are you concerned about Yulevi and whether or not he'll ever be an NHL player? I mean, this injury, he had surgery last November, I believe it was, or December. I, I think they're just being careful, and I'm okay with this. And to say he's not playing until October, that's only eight days away from when we're recording right now. It's not the end of the world. But I, I think they're just being extremely cautious about this. It was major surgery on him, and he's young, and they want to make sure that they're not rushing him back. And as Someone who's had a recurring leg injuries before and re-injured him a couple times, I know just how much a setback could derail him, especially at this time of year. If he had any sort of setback with his knee and he's forced to miss another month or two and come back in the middle of the season, that's going to hurt him this year. I think they want to make sure that he's ready for the season in the AHL, 
but they're not putting him in any sort of situations where he can re-aggravate himself. I just think they're kind of putting him in bubble wrap right now. Yeah, I just, to me, I still feel like there was a, you would at least expect to have seen him in one preseason game. And if 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 his knee isn't as strong as they would hope or they would like at this point, you know, we're looking at 10 months after surgery, essentially. To me, that's a little concerning. But they did say going into the preseason that Yolevi wasn't going to play. They said that he wasn't going to do this, and this is part. This is all part of a plan. I think they they have a plan in place with him, and he may not even start the first couple games with Utica. I think they're going to ease him in, and once he's ready and he's got his legs back, literally got his leg back, I think you'll see him playing. But I just don't think they're taking any chances, and that's for the best. I would rather them do this. And I've said this before, I'd rather do they do this, ease him into the team, ease him into games, as opposed to bringing him back too quickly and aggravating something and having a setback. So right now I know it's frustrating. Everyone wants to see Yolevi and we want to see him play this year. I think we will see him play with the Canucks. And I think this is all just very precautionary. I, I think he's going to be eased in. And I'm okay with that. Put the gloves on, handle him, just... Push him through, but don't rush him through and uh, and get him to the point where he's ready to play. They've got other guys who are playing well right now. There's not a rush. We want to see him. I think the goal for Yulevi this year should be at least for the first couple months getting himself back to where he was and then post-Christmas looking at hopefully getting a call up. Look, I hope you're right. I really do. I just, to me, I, I it is a little concerning at this moment where he still seems to be not his knee still seems to be not a hundred percent, and you would think, you would hope, anyways, that he'd be able to at least get into one preseason game. But I agree. I think it is smart to be as cautious as possible with him, and to make sure that you know you don't push him too much, and you know he misses another four six months because of this. He reaggravates whatever issue he's having with his knee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's. I, I would like to see more. I think you know we talk about some of these other guys that we have seen bit more of out of camp and Yolevi we really didn't get to see much at all uh, and we're still kind of left with what do we have here and I think that's that's one of the burning questions with with Canucks fans is we're seeing this kid's stock drop but we've seen flashes of greatness when he has played especially last year with Utica he was looking very good and I think everyone just wants to see what do we have we want to see Yoli come in and have a strong year in the AHL but this is, I think it's more of a frustration thing. I think this is all part of the plan, though. So right now, I'm not going to read too much into it. I would have liked to see him a bit more, as I'm sure everyone would have. But they were telling us going in that we're not going to see Yulevi likely in any preseason games anyway. So it is what it is. Um, I think, geez, I just hope the kid uh, gets better and is able to have a strong year this year. I mean, that would mean so much for the organization if Yulevi is able to get to the level that we think he could be at and what that would do to the back end, especially back end with some of these kids coming in, like Rafferty and Tevez. You got Wu a couple years away as well. Uh, Jack got, Rathbone, who I know you love. Yeah, yeah. Rathbone's another guy who I think is going to be interesting to watch in the NCAA this year. And even just some of the other guys that are, are more kind of plugs that you can bring in, like Chatfield and Breezebaugh. There's, there's some good core there but Yolevi has that potential to be that upper tier defensive prospect he's with Quinton Hughes jumping onto the team this year you got to think that it's now back to Yolevi to being 
our top prospect on D. And that's kind of frustrating for Canucks fans is he was the top prospect. Hughes came along and now we're back and Ulevi's still the top prospect. And it's just, it's frustrating, but let's, let's give it some time here. I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, were you able to catch any highlights from the game last night? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was able to catch a whole bunch of that actually. Yeah. I thought Besser looked good last night yeah. overall. Um, obviously he didn't, you know, uh, hit the score sheet or anything like that, but I thought his skating looked improved. You know, he made a couple of nice moves at the blue line to kind of regain um, position and, you know, had a really nice cross-ice cross pass. I believe it was to Levo. Um, yeah, I know it was only game one uh, for him, but I, I thought he looked good. He didn't seem like he missed a beat. He looked a little bit sharper and faster on his skates, which to me has always been probably his biggest weakness is his skating. Mm-hmm. Not that it's poor, but it just it's not his greatest attribute. Obviously, his shot is. I thought he looked good out there. Like I said, I'd like to see when the games start to count. I mean, the one thing that still is a little bit shocking to me with this team, and it should be better with the ad additions of Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers, and I know all the Myler, Myers haters out there, the one thing that Myers definitely does do for this team is he helps our power play. And last year, and even some of the preseason games I've watched this year, I'm a little surprised about how poor our power play seems to be. I don't know. I, I just I was. You would assume you got Besser on one side who can blast the puck. You got Petey on the other side that can blast the puck. You got Quinn Hughes who is you know dynamic with his skating ability. Um, I'm just. I, I'm not gonna obviously be quick to judge anything, but I'm definitely wanting to know what it's gonna be like come uh, the regular season, how our power play starts to develop. And I don't know if Noel Brown, who's the power play coach you know, needs to kind of rethink how we're doing the power play. You said this before, and it drives me crazy, the old back pass, skating out of your zone, and then doing a 180 and passing it back to whoever is just the worst of the worst. Well, they only started really doing power play drills a couple days ago. So I think, uh, again, it's something that's still early. And I know that they're planning on using Miller up front. Uh, Levo's gotten some time out there. I think there's a lot of new pieces out there. When you look at that power play one unit... Two of the, only two of those guys, and and one of them was a rookie at that time, were there at the start of training camp last year. Like it was Besser, and then Pedersen was a rookie, but Levo, Miller, and Hughes they weren't there for that. So I think it, it's something that's still in the early stages. Uh, the power play can't be much worse than it was last year. It's going to be better. Uh, I'd like to see it get back up to top ten, obviously, like it was two years ago. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I know they haven't been doing a lot of drills with it. I think now as you're cutting down the roster, you're going to be seeing a lot more work done with uh, with the special teams. And I think we'll see the dangerous power play and how they're going to do it. But yeah, Hughes, Pedersen, Besser, that's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping we'll see that power play kind of be top 10, top 12 even. I'd be happy with um, it, it just, yeah, the power play should be better than what it has been. And that seems to me to be this team's kind of a flaw of the last year, anyways, since Patterson joined the team. I just assume this power play would be easily a top 10 power play unit in the league. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's early as well. The other thing from the game that uh, last night that I was a little concerned with was the way that the refs were calling the game. Uh, Pedersen had guys draped all over him most of the game. He was getting hacked and whacked and this and that. And I know that's something he's going to have to get used to, but 
it's something as well that I hope that's not going to be what it's like all year. And that's just bad for the league in general when you get skilled guys just getting hacked and whacked all the time. It's not just with Pedersen who gets it. I mean, McDavid gets it. Crosby gets it. Uh, Kucherov gets it. All the good players get it. Um, but I really hope the league takes a look at that. One thing that's always driven me crazy about the NHL is kind of the subjectiveness of our officiating. In other sports, it's called the same throughout the game. You know, an ump gets a strike zone. And generally, they're not perfect. But for the most part, you know where that strike zone is for the game. NFL, again, not perfect, but they call penalties. They, they could call a penalty against a team on five straight plays. They're not afraid to do that. And the NHL still has this thing. I was like, oh, well, it's a star player. He's always drawing penalties. So we, we're not, we already called one against, uh, against him earlier. So we'll let that one go. And there's just not this consistency with, with some of this. And uh, it's, it, it's not really a Canuck-related issue. It's more of a league-related issue. But I would love to see them really start to look at uh, cleaning up some of these just stick work that guys you're getting all this lumber on their shin pads and, and on their sticks look i agree i totally agree with you i also think the nhl out of the four big north american sports throw the the officiating's always guilty of you know the makeup call oh well, that's the makeup call for the call they missed earlier yeah, or what the a makeup call exactly like a penalty is a penalty it yeah. doesn't matter if i've got five penalties in a row and you've got none you know if you're if you're penal if you're doing something if you're doing some kind of infraction, whether it's tripping, holding, slashing, it's a penalty. Mm-hmm. But you hear it all the time. Oh, a makeup call. That's clearly a makeup yeah. call for a call they missed earlier or for the fact that they've had five penalties called against yeah. them. That's so dumb, isn't it? I, I, oh. I hate the makeup call. It doesn't make any sense. So it's like, well, you've taken three penalties, so now the other team is going to go out there and whack and hack everyone in sight because they know they're, unless they trip a guy on a breakaway, they're not going to take a penalty. And then. You're watching the other team who's been sitting back and they do something. It's like, oh, there's our makeup call. Like, what, yeah. what the hell is that? So that was just something I took away from the game last night was uh, I thought there was a lot of, and it was both ways, but I thought the refs just kind of had this, oh, it's preseason, we'll let it all go. But Which that- I'm actually surprised because I would think that, you know, the NHL head office would want the refs to be calling it super tight in preseason to kind of set the standard of what the player should be expecting come regular season games yeah so i was a little i i am a little bit surprised i agree there was a couple of uh highlights i saw where petterson had like two guys draped all over him and he's still and again the thing to me that makes it a penalty is he's not his feet haven't stopped moving he's continually trying to skate trying to stick handle trying to kind of keep the play and the momentum of the play going and to me it's different when a guy just kind of stops because he got touched by someone else you know oh Mm. you know where's the penalty no pd isn't like you know freaking out about it he's moving he's constantly trying to keep the momentum of the play going and all of a sudden he finally you know gets the puck taken away he falls down and then he's like well where's the penalty guys like how come on you gotta help me out here yeah yeah for sure it's uh it it was pretty frustrating watching that again that's something though that he's gonna have to get used to he is skating great out there he's looking good i think that Pedersen is going to have a fantastic year if you had to guess right now where do you where would you see Pedersen's points this year, where do you think he was? He would end up falling uh, in, in terms of points. So last year, he put up 66 in 71 games. Uh, I think we both say it's probably going to increase. But wh- what do you think is realistic for Pedersen this year? I think if he can play the full 82 games, I could see him anywhere between 84 and 86 points. Yes. So just over a point a game. For sure. I was going to say uh, 80 to 85, somewhere in there. I, and again, though, that's if he gets the full season. He got injured twice last year. He missed only 11 games, but still 11 games. 
Um, I, I think he's got that potential to be... Uh, he's certainly a point-of-game player in my mind. And the team's better around him. So I think as well coming in with uh, Besser, coming in not as cold this year, there's potential there for Besser to really improve on some of his totals. And uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think Patterson around 80, 85. What do you think for Besser? Besser at 56 last year in 69. I mean, I think Besser, his his, his biggest goal this year is going to be to crack 30 goals. I think. Yeah. That's got to be his number one priority. So I think you can hopefully get 33 goals out of Besser this year and probably 25 assists, roughly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, I, I'd be looking at about, what, 58 points, give or take? Okay, so just a couple more. I think he's. I think he could get into mid-60s. I, I do. I think, uh, I think he... If he's healthy, I think he'll push closer to 35. I think uh, I think he's just got that potential. Two things with Besser is he's never played 70 games in a year, and he's never hit 30 goals. So I think those are those are very good goals for him this year. Get to 70 games and get to 30 goals. He's been yep. close, but that would be a very positive step for him in uh, in the right direction as well. Um, and then Big Bo, he's continued every year to just increase his numbers and. Do you think there's still a little bit more he can get in there? He had 61 points. I think he'd probably bump it up a little bit more. I think mid-60s is about where he'll match up, kind of max out, sorry. But what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I can see him finishing between 65, 68 points, especially if he has, if he's able to play with a solid winger for the entire season. And obviously, you know, things happen. Guys can get hurt. Him and Miller seem to have some good chemistry together. Mm-hmm. If he depending on whoever the third winger or the third person on that line is going to be, Berchi, Levo, Pearson. I think any given night, that line can be uh, really, really solid as far as uh, production. And they sh- they should be, they yeah, they should be a, a, a line that can really drive the, the pace of play and put the puck in the net. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think, the JT Miller acquisition is interesting. I think Canucks fans are starting to like what they see, and I've said it before. I don't think we'll ever like the trade, but moving on, it's. Uh, I think that with JT Miller in there, I think that's a piece that we haven't really had for a while, and he's a very nice kind of guy we can plug up and down the lineup here. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, he's only cracked 50 points once in his career, but... Oh, sorry, twice. He was uh, he did it uh, in two seasons, the one he split with New York and Tampa as well. But I, th- I think, again, that's kind of where he could be. If he can get 50 points out of this guy, maybe 20 goals, 30 assists, uh, I, I think he's going to be very well liked in this city because he does a lot of other things as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think he's also he's a good utility guy, right? If you do have injuries throughout the course of the year, which we know every team gets hit with, especially the Canucks. He's a guy that can play, you know, up and down the lineup. He can play center. He can play either wing. He can play on your third line. He can play on your second line. He can play on the first line. So I think his utility is very valuable as as well. And I think that's something that the Canucks really haven't had in their top six is a guy that you can kind of just kind of plug and play. Or actually, let's say their top nine. He's a guy that you can just plug and play anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see him also get some shots maybe at 3C this year if if needed. He's yep. a guy you could put down there. And having strength at center we know is extremely important. And I think that's actually one of the Canucks' strengths this season is strength down the middle. That's Again, that's been a while since we've really been able to say that, not since really the Sedin-Kessler era. But all of a sudden, you know, you've got your top two centers, obviously, Pedersen and Horvat. And then you've got this Gaudette Sutter Beagle 
thing going on in the bottom bit there. And Miller's another guy. You've got six centers. Mm-hmm. You could have six centers in your opening night lineup. I'm not saying you will, but it's possible that six of your 12 forwards could be guys that play center. And that's a great strength to have because especially this year with the new rule change with uh, the face-off after a penalty, yeah. you can choose which side. That's a big advantage to teams if you have multiple centers that you can put out there you know it's it's it is an advantage to have more of these good face-off guys i know the canucks have been working on it a lot on the face-off side of things with manny um but it's another just just kind of a little tweak and another thing that miller can can do well out there i agree uh what are your projections or expectations points wise for hughes where do you think he ends the year i think he's a mid 40 point guy yeah i put him around 45 i think uh, i think he can do that um, you look at the very small sample size that we got from him, three points in five games, I believe, last year. Uh, I, th- I think he, I think he's going to be somewhere uh, in that range um, of around mid forties points. I think. I'm I think. calling forty three, same as I'm his number. Say, I'm going to say forty five. I think I think he's going to get a little little bit higher in there. And, and I mean, some of it, his Michigan numbers, he was he was quite good in those those two years i mean last year at michigan 33 points in 32 games that's incredible for for a blue liner the year before he had 29 and 37 um i think he's he's more than certainly more than a half a point a game but yeah somewhere in the mid 40s what his top end could be uh a couple years from now though he could be a 60 plus point defenseman and i know we're homer homerizing him here because he is a canuck but he the way he plays I know I've talked to other Canucks fans about this too, but we've never really had a defenseman who plays like this. No. And it's trying to find comparables or evaluate him. We always had a certain mold of defenseman, like our top-end defenseman. You know, going back even to Reinhardt, Lume, to Salo, to Olin, you know, Jeff Brown. There's there's all these guys that we've had that were a certain mold, and they played a certain way. And you kind of knew where their points were going to come from. You kind of knew... That guys like Reinhardt and Sallow, they had these big shots on the point. You knew that Olin could break it out and get you a couple different ways, and he would never put up the hugest amount of points, but he, you, you kind of knew what you were getting. Hughes is so shifty and such a good skater, and he rushes the puck in, and we've never really had a defenseman who's afraid, not afraid to go to the net like that. And that's, that's what I think is a real interesting thing for us to watch as a full season of this, because we've never had that before. That's, I'm really excited to see what we got what we got with him and from what we've seen it's it's gonna be exciting yeah like the closest and again it's not really close but the closest guy i can think of was maybe jovanovsky when he would kind of break out on the rush you know he he did have you know those times when he'd come out of his own end and he would just kind of rush the puck up and kind of go end to end a couple of times but hughes is totally different because he literally waits for the second defender to kind of come help the first defender on him, and then he looks for that open guy streaking down the the wing. He he's a guy that can definitely break down defenses because he puts the defense on their heels. You he, he puts the pressure on them, so they're literally trying. You know, they're backing up, backing up all until the point where they can't back up anymore. And then Hughes, you know, might circle around and look for an open winger streaking down one of the sides, or pass it back to the point to the other defenseman, or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, he's uh, he's the guy that we, we talk about, but I don't think we really realize just how much he's going to change uh, the face of this team this next year. I'm I'm extremely excited for that, well, and I agree with you. I don't think we've ever had a player quite like him with no. his skill set on the back end. Well, and to be fair, there's not a lot of guys who've ever really kind of graced the NHL with this. This is the new breed of defenseman, and you're starting to see them 
come into the league with guys like Kale McCarr as well. This is the new style of NHL defensemen. It's not the Darian Hatcher mold at all anymore. This is the new way that defensemen play, and they're they're more offensive, and they're faster skaters, and they jump up more. And uh, it's really exciting to to see this because we've we've never had this before and, and and not a lot of teams have this is all brand new i think for the nhl no i totally agree and like i said i think it's going to be a very regardless if the canucks make the playoffs or not it's going to be a very entertaining year and i think there's going to be a lot for us luckily to talk about and i think there's going to be a lot for canucks fans to talk about this year and that's good i think the interest in the team grew bester's first year his rookie year especially with the all-star game winning mvp Obviously, it grew exponentially again last year with Petey, his arrival and how he transitioned into, you know, essentially the number one center spot immediately. A lot of people pegged him, maybe you start him on the wing for a year, see how he develops, then plug him in the middle. Came right in, first line center, was incredible. Blew all of my expectations on what I expected him to be able to do last year out the window. And then this year, you've got guy like, Hughes joining the team who we've never seen, like you said, a player like this on the on our team. And then you're adding good pieces like Miller, mm-hmm. Pearson, who we didn't have until late last year. Furland. Obviously, Furland, yeah. exactly. Even Tyler Myers. Like yeah. I know a lot of people want to be critical of Tyler Myers, but he is an upgrade on all the guys we lost last year. He's an mm-hmm. upgrade. Oh, now, yeah. was the cost of that upgrade worth it? Well, it's just money in term. And I understand people are worried about, well, you still have two big guys to sign in Hughes and Pedersen in two years. But who knows what's going to happen in two years. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that the salary cap could stay stagnant. I believe that it is going to go up once the new television deal comes in, once mm-hmm. Seattle comes in. And the other thing that I think people are kind of forgetting is, and we mentioned this before, so I don't want to sound like a broken record, is the fact that Myers can be left available during the expansion draft. And maybe Seattle takes him mm-hmm. if if he's not working out right. If he's if he's not doing well and he's more of a liability than an asset out there, we can easily just leave him exposed. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, well, it's we got a few more preseason games. Uh, we'll be back, I guess, next time we do this to kind of wrap up the preseason, and we should have final rosters just about by then. But uh, regardless, I think it's going to be a pretty exciting couple weeks here, watching how this all unfolds. I agree. Free pour, open floor. Alright, free pour, open floor. I actually get to drink something that isn't coffee or mango juice this week. So Doug, what do we got? Uh, So this week we're drinking a Japanese whiskey, uh, Nika Pure Malt Black. Whoa. Really like it. It's got a bit of a smoky uh, taste to it. So, uh... Let me crack this open. It's a nice looking little bottle too, eh? Yeah, it looks like a little medicine bottle. Well, it kind of is in a way, I guess, isn't it? It sure is. All right, I'll take one of those. First, first whiskey in a while. Beautiful. Definitely. Let's cheers to this. Uh, it's good having you back, Pete. It's good to be back. Episode six, nearly in the books. There we go. Made a six pack. Um, so this week I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to sound very old man, get off my lawn. If you don't start making more sense, we're going to have to put you in a hole. This is good, by the way. But I wanted to talk about, thank you. I wanted to talk about umbrella etiquette. Um, it's pouring rain here in Vancouver, um, which we expected to be doing this time of year. 
And a couple things that really, really chap my ass, grind my gears, are people with umbrellas who go out of their way to walk under covered areas. It's like, you've got the umbrella. No, you're the one that's meant to be out where it's raining. I don't have the umbrella. Why would you walk under a covered kind of awning area? Or the fact that sometimes people turn around willy-nilly with their umbrellas and almost take your eye out. Again, I sound like the kid's parents from A Christmas Story. But yes, umbrella etiquette, for whatever reason, it just really chaps my ass this time of year. I know, again, I'm not trying to sound like an old curmudgeon, but yeah, that's what I needed to get off my plate today. Well, fair enough, man. That's definitely, uh, definitely annoys me too. For me, uh, I'm sticking on the sports theme. Uh, NHL isn't back, but the WHL is. I love WHL hockey. Uh, shout out to all my buddies in Victoria who are Victoria Royals season ticket holders. I know they had a tough opener, losing 6 nothing to, I believe it was Everett uh, last night. The Giants are back. They won their first two, beating the Cougars in two straight games. Circle February 21st on your calendar. That's when the Hitmen are in town. Could be our chance to see Jet Wu playing. Uh, WHL hockey, if you have it in your area, it's a pain in the ass that they're at the Langley, but I love the hockey there. It's great to see. Isn't Carson Falk also on the Hitmen? I believe so, yeah. yeah. So it's definitely, uh, that might be a little road trip out there. Uh, whenever I go back to Vic, I always try and hit up a Royals game too, so... Hockey is slowly but surely coming back. Yes, it is. Good strap. Sean Green and Cam Neely. Now Green coming on to take a few punches after Neely gets all the initial ones in. And I'm wondering what the crowd is voting for here. There you have uh, future Canuck and present U.S. Mr. Bruin. And they're going at it pretty strong, Bill. Well, you don't see a good fight like that very often. Two guys. That... All but almost wraps up episode six of Canucks Speakeasy podcast. Uh, we appreciate all the feedback and people taking the time to listen to us rant and rave about the Canucks. Pete, is there anything you want to let the listeners know out there? Uh, we'll be doing some Canucks ticket giveaways as the season goes on as well. Uh, so keep your ears open for that or keep a watch on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. And I'm at Doug Venn. And uh, we will eventually get our asses in gear and get a, a proper account set up for our page. It's just been tough with us running around and drinking all this whiskey and stuff anyways, which is very nice whiskey, this one. So, uh, yeah, that's about wraps it up. Doug, any, anything else on your end? Uh, no. Uh, let's uh, look forward to uh, next week's episode. It should be the last episode we get to talk about training camp until the real games start. Gonna be fun. Until then, everyone, take care, enjoy the rest of the preseason, and we'll see you next week.